Well, good morning, everyone. So awesome to see you guys here today. So my name is Pastor Zach. I am the student pastor here, and it is good to be with you guys today. Um, always want to thank Pastor Mike. It's a privilege um, to be able to come and spend these Sunday mornings with you guys. Well, here's the deal. If you haven't met me yet or you don't know me yet, first of all, Hello, it's good to see you guys here today. Um, one of the biggest ways about knowing who I am and getting to know me is honestly getting to know uh, my family. And so I wanted to show you guys a picture here. This is my wonderful family right here. And so we actually just had a, an interesting week. Have you ever been on a road trip with young kids? It's a fun time. But um, this is my beautiful wife, Angelina. In fact, this was actually from last Sunday. We dedicated our kids. We were a part of it. It was awesome. Um, these are my twins. Levi is our boy. Aaliyah is our girl. And then we have our little girl right here named Avery. Um, my twins are going to be four in September, and Avery is about like 18 months right now. And so we're just in this season. If you're a parent of young kids, you know exactly what I'm going to say right now. Right? There are these moments where they're voices are just so cute and they're so lovely and you walk in the door and they're like daddy and you're like this is amazing and then that moment quickly fades when you see their toys are scattered everywhere right the dishes are piling up they're screaming and fighting constantly and you're just like this word peace what is this word peace you speak of I don't have known that word in a long time right and so I'm just in that season right now this is my life I'm just learning to be a dad and it's awesome and it's chaos and it's just something I wouldn't trade for the world and I wanted to show you this right now because I'm going to be talking about my family here today. But I am so excited to, to have this talk with you guys here this morning. Because what we just have been through, if you've been following with us um, in previous weeks, Pastor Mike just took us through the Gospel of Luke. And what was so cool about that, the Gospel of Luke ends with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And the resurrection of Jesus, that event is what our faith is built on. Right? Our faith is built on an event. It's not built on a story. Right? It's not built on some religion that was created. It's not even built on written text. It's built on an event. And it was the single greatest event in all of human history. Because a man named Jesus, who fulfilled over 300 prophecies, performed miracles, claimed to be God, then predicted his own death and resurrection, and then actually resurrected from the dead. Right, an event that's validated by eyewitnesses, the empty tomb, his undeniable testimony of his disciples, and most significantly, right, for 2,000 years, people are continuing to testify that their lives are being transformed by receiving the spirit of our resurrected Savior. And so here's, that's what I want to talk to us today about. Because when we as Christians, we use this word gospel. Right? And what that word gospel means is the good news of Jesus. Right? The gospel is that Jesus both saves us and transforms us. Right? This is the good news of the gospel. However, we can all know that knowing the gospel and being transformed by the gospel are two completely separate things. Right? This is why I believe for many Christians, like, the biggest struggle for us right, is not believing in Jesus. Right? That was the easy part. Right? Putting our faith in Jesus was the easy part. The hard part for many of us is learning how to actually follow Jesus. Right? For us in student ministry, what we do primarily, yes, we have moments where we're, where we're sharing the gospel and we're trying to lead new students to Jesus. But to be honest, the majority of our efforts, what we're doing with students, is teaching them how not to drift away from Jesus. Because that's where the real challenge is for us. And I think if we're honest right now, when we come to think about, you know, why is it so hard to actually follow Jesus? I think for many of us, the problem boils down to really a simple misunderstanding. Do we really understand the gospel? 
Right? If I were just to ask you right now, what is the gospel? Right? If someone on the street came up to you and said, hey, you go to church. I've heard this word gospel. What does it mean? Right? Some of us, it's okay. It might be like, talk to the pastors. That's what they do. I don't know. Other of us might jump right to John 3, 16. You're like, oh yeah, it's about Jesus. He came to the earth and he, and he died on the cross for our sins. And you put your faith in Jesus, you get to live forever. And that's true. That's amazing. That is the gospel. But how does just knowing that actually lead us to be transformed? I, I heard this story. Maybe you can relate to one of these two guys. Um, there was a pastor, and he was sharing this story about this guy who was at his church, right? He would call him like a regular, like someone who comes to church every week is always there. And he said this guy ended up talking to the pastor and just said, you know, I'm having just these huge struggles in my marriage. I'm caught up in all of my addictions. And he's like, you know what? I'm just going to be honest, pastor. Jesus just really isn't working for me right now. I also had a coworker one time uh, when I had this job back in college. Um, We would talk about my faith and church and we would just talk about Jesus and things like that. And, you know, he didn't believe in Jesus. And he told me, he said, you know what, Zach? He's like, I tried giving Jesus a try. He's like, I went to a few church services. And he's like, I'm going to be honest. I went to those services and... I didn't feel anything. She's like, Jesus just, you know, just isn't for me. And I just share those two experiences with us right now because maybe you can relate to one of those two guys, right? Maybe you can relate a little bit to that first guy and you're like, you know what? Like, I believe in Jesus. I was baptized. Like, I want to follow Jesus, but I just have these struggles, these temptations I just can't get over. And I want to follow Jesus, but if I'm honest, I don't even really know how to stay close to him. And I'm coming to church, I'm trying my best, but man, do I got some struggles still. Or maybe you're kind of like the second guy. You're like, man, I want to believe in Jesus. I really do. Like I see the way my mom loves Jesus. I see the way people here at service and they're raising their hands. And I've tried coming to a few services, but I'm just going to be honest. It just doesn't make sense to me. I, don't, Jesus, I just don't really get Jesus right now. And so I want to just do this with us. I mean, we're living in an age right now where there's just been so much like church hurt. There's been so much just like confusing world ideologies that it's almost like trending for a lot of people to deconstruct their faith, meaning to just walk away from their faith in Jesus. Because the problem for so many people is their understanding of the gospel, their understanding of faith is nothing more than just this moral code to try to live by. And so I want to just do this for us right now. Before we jump into this, I believe God has something to speak to all of us today, right? Whether you believe in Jesus or you don't believe in him, but if he is real, you're like, I would believe in him. And so I want to just have us just self-reflect here for a moment, because if we can really identify where it is we are desperate to hear from God right now, I believe that's going to open us up to hear from God this morning. And so I want us just to do this right now. I want you just to ask yourself this question. You can throw the slide up there, right? Where do you feel like you need to ask God right now? what, What do you need to ask God right now? Like, where do you feel like you need him the most in your life? So just think about these questions, right? Maybe number one, it's like, God, man, I need you to reveal yourself to me, right? Maybe you don't, maybe you've never experienced God. Maybe you still feel like, man, he's somewhere up there in the sky and I'm, and I'm somewhere down here. Or maybe you're like, man, I remember I was baptized as a kid and, and I tried following Jesus, but it's been a long time since I felt connected to him. God, I just need you to just reveal yourself to me. Show me that you're here. Show me that you care. Show me that you're with me. God, I just need you to remind me that you're here. Reveal yourself to me, right? Maybe you need to ask God, God, heal me. Right, of course, this could be like a physical thing that you're struggling with and you've been praying for, but maybe more significantly, there's like some kind of emotional hurt, right? An open wound, an unforgiveness, an addiction, a bad habit, just something that is just weighing on you. And you're going, God, I desperately just need you to heal me. Or maybe it's this one right here. God set a fire in me. 
Maybe you've lost your urgency a little bit to want to live for God. And you're like, honestly, God, I just need you to light a fire in me. I want more of you, God. I want more of your presence. I want you to use me more to reach my friends. I want you to use me more to be a tool for your kingdom. God, set this fire in me here this morning. And so we're going to take a moment and I'm going to let you just pray one of those prayers to God. And again, even if you're like, man, I don't even know if God's listening to me right now, just do it anyways and just see what happens. And I want us just to ask God whatever these things are that you need him to reveal to you this morning. And we're going to pray and we're going to jump into this. God, we just ask that you speak to us here this morning. Let us hear your gospel message. Let us not just know your gospel, God, but let us understand it and let it transform us this morning, Lord. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So we're going to take a journey through the book of Romans. And I'm super excited to take with us through Romans because... If the resurrection of Jesus was the greatest event to happen in human history, then the book of Romans is the greatest book that helps us explain why that was the greatest event in human history. The book of Romans was written by the Apostle Paul, and there's probably no greater explanation of what the gospel is in the whole entire earth. And what's even more exciting is the book of Romans... Right, the study of Romans is actually what has been behind every great spiritual Christian awakening um, in Christian history. I mean, just to name a few, um, it was the Protestant Reformation by Martin Luther who studied Romans and was so convicted by his understanding of the gospel that he nailed the 95 Thesis on the Catholic Church, and here we are today. Right? In America, the first great awakening in America was led by um, John, uh, John Wesley and Jonathan Edwards, who studied the book of Romans and was so convicted by their understanding of the gospel that it changed the way they preached, and we had our first great awakening in America. Right? The book of Romans, the reason that it is so powerful and so transformational is because it explains to us why the gospel is the only answer to humanity's brokenness. And so we're going to look at what is, in my opinion, right, the greatest chapter of the greatest letter of the greatest book that was ever written. We're going to take a look in Romans chapter 8. And what's funny about Romans chapter 8, in my opinion, the reason why it is the greatest chapter is because it follows Romans chapter 7, which is probably one of the most relatable chapters in the whole entire Bible. Because if you didn't know this, who wrote it, the guy's name is um, the Apostle Paul, right? Arguably, you guys ever heard the term goat? Greatest of all time, right? I always joke in student ministry, Paul was the goat Christian, right? The greatest follower of Jesus because he wrote 60% of what we have in the New Testament. Probably the greatest ambassador for the gospel. But Paul, in his humility and full vulnerability, explains to us why even though he loves Jesus, he still has these struggles with the pitfalls of sin. I mean, can you relate to that at all? You're like, man, I want to follow Jesus, but man, I just got these struggles. I, w- I want to follow him. And I-, I read in the Bible that it says the same spirit who rose Jesus from the dead lives in me. But then how come I don't love God more? How come I still give into these same temptations? How come I still am wrestling through all of this? Like, how does this make any sense? And maybe if you're not a Christian yet, maybe you've wondered that too. You're like, man, if these Christians love Jesus for- so much, why do they get loving so wrong? So like I said, Paul in his full vulnerability just shares this. You can put this on the screen right now. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. 
We can all see that Dr. Seuss also read Romans here. We learned that also. But what we're reading right here is Paul, what he's doing is he's um, acknowledging the fact that even though he knows God and loves Jesus and he has this now, this new desire to want to be close to God, he has this war within him that his sinful flesh is still struggling with the pitfalls of sin, the very sin that he's trying to overcome, he's actually giving into. And again, I think we can all relate to that a little bit, right? How many of you guys are like, man, Pastor Zach, I- I'm telling you, man, like I really be trying to listen to worship music in my car, but as soon as someone cuts me off, they just get that holy finger and I, I don't know what comes out of me. <laughs> Maybe I preach to that. <clears throat> Maybe you're like, man, at home, man, I-, I-, I really do love my family, but man, when they make me mad, I just explode and I, and I don't know why I can't stop. Right? It's these temptations, it's these addictions, it's the drinking. I, I want to get away from it, but it still has such a grip on me. I have all the right intentions, but there's just this, this war in me. And the reason this is important to bring up is because in those moments of failure, what we end up doing to ourselves, we start questioning ourselves. And we start beating ourselves up and go, man, I should be over this by now. I shouldn't be struggling with this anymore. Why am I still doing this? What is wrong with me? I'm never going to be good enough. I'm never going to get over this. Maybe I'm not even actually saved anymore. And listen, if this is the power of the gospel, if this is all it is, that we believe in Jesus, but we're going to be helpless to our sin forever, then what are we doing? Right? Why are any of us like, believing in this? Why are you coming to church if that's all that's going to happen in our lives? Listen to what Paul says here next. He says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Let me see. I think I'm supposed to, let me read this here really quick. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that's subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus our Lord. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk us through Romans chapter 8 right now. Right? And there's a big theme that is talked about through Romans 8. And it's this theme of freedom. And we're going to see how the gospel brings freedom. And so here's point number one. You can put that on there. Point number one is the gospel is freedom. It brings freedom from sin and condemnation. The next verse immediately right after Paul says, "Uh, man, what a wretched man I am. Thanks be to God who rescues me from Jesus. Immediately he goes into the next verse and says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right? Do we all understand that word condemnation? Right, you ever been around a person who's very just condemning, very condescending? Don't point your fingers or say any names, but just think of them in your head, right? That person where every time you're around them, right, they got something negative to say. They got some kind of criticism towards you, something negative to point out, some way of making you feel like you're not good enough. And every time you're around them, it's just like they're condemning you, right? What the devil knows is he knows he has lost all of his power over the children of God. He has nothing he can do to attack a believer except to try to condemn them in his hopes that his condemnation of them will defeat them, right? But there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But how, you're asking, like how? How does that make any sense, right? When I lie, when I cheat, when I lose my cool, when I do these wrong things, I don't feel Like God should have accepted me. I don't feel very good about myself. I feel like God should be mad at me. How is it possible that I can wrestle through the struggles of sin, yet there's no condemnation for me? This is how. 
Paul picks up in verse 3, he says, For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. So he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but live according to the spirit. And so what I want to do for us right now, if you're wondering what this is up here, I want to show us something right now. Right, because the first part of understanding the gospel is understanding this big Bible word. Okay, If you want to write this down, if you've never heard of it, it's this word called justification. Right? Justification is just a court term. It means to be made not guilty. Right? If, I got, if I went to court for a crime and the, the judge said, you are justified, I get to leave that courtroom as if I never committed the crime, to be justified. And so I want to just show us something right now that I hope um, can kind of give us an understanding and a help to really understand how it's possible that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so what I'm going to call this right now, I'm going to call this my sin jacket, okay? Um, this is going to just represent sin. This is really sad because my brother got me this for Christmas, but it is now my sin jacket. So I'm going to put this on right now, and I wouldn't just to see this. So we're going to say this represents our sin. Okay, when we sin, when we mess up, there's nothing we can do to remove this from us, right? It's on us. It's become a part of us. It's everywhere we go. And now that this sin jacket is on us, anytime we mess up and we make mistakes, which we all do, anytime we have those intrusive thoughts, those deep secrets that we hope no one is knowing about, all of a sudden that sin now sticks to us and we're left feeling ashamed. Anytime we give in to our addictions, we're left to be condemned to hopelessness. We get caught up in our family drama, our friend drama, and we give into and we feed into and we're in the gossip and all these things happen. Now we're left with the condemnation of just living just in anxiety. Our mistakes, our wrong choices are leaving us with the condemnation of feeling worthless. All the other sin that we struggle with, right? All of the anger, the lust, the greed, the cussing, the lying, just all of it, it sticks to us and we're left just with all of this condemnation that is now a part of us. It goes with us. There's nothing we can do to remove it from us. There's no enough religion we can do. There's no amount of times we can go to church that we can do. There's no, we can't just squeeze our fist and go, come off of me. There's nothing we can do to remove this from us. We're stuck in our own condemnation of the destruction of the power of sin, which we know does nothing more than want to steal, kill, and destroy everything in our lives. And so a visual of literally what Jesus has done for us, the reason why we are justified, how there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, the gospel is this, is that when we put our faith in Jesus, when he went to the cross, it's like he took our sin jacket off of us and he placed it on the cross. And here's what I want to see, I want you guys to see right now. What ends up happening because of that, because our sin, right, is now off of us, right? He, God, he gives us a new status, which we can understand as righteous. He gives us a new identity, which we can place on ourselves now, which is child of God. And here's what this looks like when we sin and we mess up and we say, man, I, I, give, into, I give into that temptation or I wish I didn't say that. Guess what happens now? That sin that we just did is no, has nowhere to stick to us. That sin jacket isn't on us anymore. You know right where it goes? The moment we mess up, the moment we make a mistake, it goes right back to the cross. Because that's where Jesus put it. Right? This is what it looks like for us to be justified. Now stick with me here because this isn't the whole gospel. There's a lot more to talk about here. But because, because we are justified, we are now children of God. Right? And so this is point number two. 
right? The gospel gives us freedom as sons and daughters. Here's what Paul says, pick it up in verse 14. He says, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. That word Abba is just the Aramaic word of the most intimate version of saying Father, which is Daddy. Right? Like, Dad. Like the level of intimacy of who God is. He's not just some mystic being. He wants us to see him as a Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Right? And because we have received, the, uh, because we have been justified, we now get to receive the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And the Holy Spirit who lives in us, like we said earlier, the same Spirit who rose Christ from the dead now lives in us. And as we're going to go deeper right now, we're going to see that the whole point of the gospel is to bring about love. It's all through love that God wants us as a son or a daughter. He didn't die on the cross for us to become a rule follower. He didn't die on the cross for us to become a religious person. He didn't die on the cross for us just to be some tool for his kingdom. He died on the cross for us to become children. And again, if you're still wondering, like, man, how is it possible that I want to follow Jesus, but I'm still wrestling with sin, I want to just show us something else right now that I think can help put things into perspective a little bit for us, exactly what God is doing in us right now. And so I'm going to show you a picture right now. This is my daughter, Aaliyah. Super cute, right? My wife's teaching her how to garden, and they're, like, just doing awesome. My daughter loves it. Um, however, I'm going to say something really horrible right now. It's just, it's just roll with me here. Right, let's just pretend hypothetically, um, worse, something just no dad wants to see happen. Let's say in like 15, 20, 30 years, um, my little daughter Aaliyah grows up and her struggle, she becomes like an alcoholic. Right? And that becomes like her struggle that she's, she's dealing with. I want you just to imagine, how do you think I should start introducing her? Right, when I show a picture, should I be like, hey, here's my awesome family. Here's my beautiful wife Angelina, uh, my son Levi, my daughter Avery. And over there in the corner, that's the alcoholic. Right? No one. Right? I would never do that. I would still say, this is my daughter, Aaliyah. And even if someone yells out and condemns her and points a finger and say, that's your daughter. No, that's the alcoholic. She's a loser. How do you think I'm supposed to respond to that? I'm going to be like, uh, this is my daughter first and foremost. And yes, she has this struggle. And I, we're, we're working on it together, actually. And I'm helping her in this. And I'm doing this alongside of her. And we're making great progress. She is not the same person she was. But right now, she is my daughter. She is not her struggle. This is my daughter who I love. And if we as parents, right, know how to feel this way about our children, how much more do you think God loves us? Right, the other side of how God saves us. Remember, the gospel is that Jesus both saves us and transforms us. Jesus both justifies us. And here's another big Bible word of what God is doing in us right now. It's this word, sanctification. Right, it's what we could, if you read that in the Bible, now you know what it means, right? To be sanctified just simply means this. The process of becoming like God. Jesus, right? And this is what's happening in us. Because we're justified, right? God's standard is, of course, perfection. But thanks be to God, right? Because of Jesus, God's requirement from us is progression, right? Not perfection. The only thing the gospel actually requires from us is faith and repentance. Again, Jesus didn't die on the cross for us just to have a bunch of loveless rule followers. He died on the cross to have children who desire his presence, who desire to just be in the presence of their dad who loves them. And here's what's amazing about that. 
Because the gospel requires faith and repentance to lead us into the presence of God, what that produces in us is a desire for obedience. So stick with me here right now because I'm going to keep moving along. And as you follow along with me right now, you're going to see there's just a whole puzzle being put together to understand right, what this relationship with God is all about. So here's the third point. Right, the gospel gives us freedom towards love. Right, in Matthew 13, Jesus he actually gives us this parable to help teach us how some of us actually receive the gospel. Right, and one of the examples he gives, he says, some of us receive the gospel in the same way that a farmer plants a seed. Right, and for a farmer, sometimes he might throw a seed and it might land on um, shallow fertile or sh- shallow soil, meaning there might be uh, rocky soil. And when that happens, when the seed begins to grow, it sprouts up right away, and it looks good, and it looks great. And you're like, okay, this is awesome. This crop's going to produce fruit. But because it's on rocky soil, it has nowhere to actually extend its roots, and it eventually dies. What that means for some of us, we, we struggle to receive the gospel and see it transform us because we have a shallow faith. And what a shallow faith for many of us is, is a lack of understanding how God and suffering work together. Right? Jesus says it's a, it's a fertile soil that actually allows its roots to grow deep that actually produces a crop. It's those of us that have a fertile soil that the gospel is actually able to transform us. And I'm going to show us something right now in Romans 8.28 that I believe can move anyone's faith from a shallow rocky soil to a fertile soil. Okay, here's Romans 8.28. Let's read it. It says, and we know that in all things, I want everyone to say all things. Because all things does not mean some things. It does not mean only certain things. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And so what I want to do with you right now, just for a few minutes, if you'll stick with me here, is I want to just shift a little bit from teaching on the gospel to just share with you personally right now why this single verse is my personal favorite verse in all of scripture. It is the single verse that has changed my life. It is a single verse that has given me all hope and peace. Um, it's the very verse that's giving me hope and peace right now with what I'm going through. Right, I, w- I want to show you this picture right now. This is our announcement picture of my wife and I of our twins. Right, this is when we told the world, hello world, we're having twins. Um, and I remember when we were in the ultrasound and we first found out that it was twins, my wife and I had completely different reactions. Okay, so my wife is a twin herself. She has six set of twins on her side of the family, but it always skips a generation, except with us, right? And so we were the first set to not skip a generation. And so she had a very much more realistic expectation, right? So her reaction was not, yay, right? She knew like a twin pregnancy is very high risk. It's very hard on your body. And even when the babies are born, two is going to be way more challenging than one. And so she wasn't like super like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. She was like, okay, here, like she was like, not the same reaction as me. I feel like I barely have ever even seen twins, right? So I was just like, this is awesome. Like, wow, how lame to have one baby. We get to have two. Like, this is so exciting, right? And I was just like over the moon. And so everything was going great in our pregnancy, getting ready to have babies, buying cribs, thinking of names, just being so excited, right, to be first-time parents. Until we got to 22 weeks in the pregnancy and we went for a checkup and they found out my wife's cervix was incompetent, meaning that the babies were actually getting ready to be born at 22 weeks. And if you don't know about that, that just, that's way too early. The doctors won't even try to save your babies until they make it to 24 weeks. 
And so just like all of a sudden, in a moment, like everything we had our expectations excited, in a moment our life shattered. They gave us a probability that our, like we, the way they told us, we had a strong expectation that the babies probably aren't going to survive. And so they put my wife on bed rest at home, and of course we started praying like crazy, and we were praying and praying, and it was like one of the scariest moments, and we get now to 26 weeks for a checkup, and things go from bad to worse. And they say that my wife's now four centimeters dilated, and they put her on it. That's like the babies are coming, like your body's getting ready to deliver these babies, which again is way too early. Um, so they put her on an emergency bed rest in the hospital. And right then and there, they begin telling us, like, okay, if they're born um, this week, they have this huge chance of probably not surviving. And if they do survive, they're going to have this problem and this ailment and this disease. And like all this stuff they were just telling us. And again, it's just like so big and so overwhelming and so scary. Not even going to my wife's side, having to be on bed rest for eight weeks is like, I always said it was worse than prison because you didn't even get to go outside. I would just sit in a bed all day. And so, of course, we started praying, right? We started to have hundreds and hundreds of people praying. And I'm sharing this with you right now because I remember in the most scariest moment of my life, it was Romans 8, 28 that I read. And I remember I got to a place and I just had to cry out to God and say, God, of course, like, save my babies, save my twins, protect my wife, God. But because I knew Romans 8, 20, it says, because God works all things for the good of those who love him, I came to a peace of knowing, you know what? Even if the worst case scenario, they don't survive and they die. Whatever happens, God, I may not understand it, but you are going to do something good from this, right? Maybe this is my story, how I save other people. Like, like I don't, like maybe you use this for me to shout. Whatever you do, God, I don't know. I can't even fathom how uh, losing my twins could be a good thing. But if you allow it to happen, I'm praying about it. You hear it. Whatever you allow to happen, I know it's going to be for good, so we never stopped praying for them to be healed, but I had a peace in knowing that. Fast forward, we get to exactly 34 weeks, the exact place we needed to get to for them to be born, for them to be healthy. They were born into this world. Healthy, we took them home eight days later, and it was literally a complete, perfect like, uh, uh, example of why the power of prayer works. And it was awesome. We can, yes, praise God. So now we fast forward to, to my twins are two years old and my son Levi gets diagnosed with autism. And once again, just like everything is just like, hold up, wait. And, it, and it's been just this, he, he's going to be four soon. It's been probably the most challenging time in uh, my wife and I's marriage, right? Because unless you have a, a child with autism, it's really just hard to know how like, crazy difficult it can be at times. I mean, just from, he's around two years old is really when he started showing just a lot of signs of autism, right? The, the tantrums and adjusting to the new schedule of all the therapy sessions we're doing and um, just everything. It put so much strain on our marriage. And I, and I just remember, like, even still, we're still struggling through this where we have a hard time taking him in public just because he, he gets overwhelmed. He throws a, you know, he goes into a tantrum mode. And I remember at one point, I'm just going to be super honest, we were here for, for something for my daughter's school, trying to take her to school. And obviously, he has to go to a different school. And we're just adjusting to this, all this chaos of new schedules and I remember I had to take him early because he just, it was too overstimulating for him and I had to leave and I couldn't be there with my daughter. And I remember I actually genuinely kind of got frustrated with God. And I prayed this prayer and I said, God, like you so clearly did a miracle for these babies to be born. Like they would not be here if you didn't intervene and bring them here healthy. God, why did you stop the miracle short? Because naturally what we're doing right now is we're, we're asking questions for my son Levi because autism is, is a huge spectrum. And we're in the thick of it right now where we're trying to just do our best and trust in God, but we don't really know how this is going to turn out. 
I mean, we're, we're asking questions like, man, how much is he going to be made fun of for being different? I mean, are things going to get better? Are they going to get worse? Is he ever going to be able to talk to me? Is he going to be able to go to school? Is he going to be able to make friends? Is he going to be able to get a job? Is he going to be able to drive? Is he going to get married? Like, what is he going to be able to experience this life that you've given us, God? Like, where is this going to go? And we don't know right now. And, I'm, and this is even harder for me to wrestle with. And I'm at a place again of trusting Romans 8, 28 and going, God, once again, I can't even just fathom in my own understanding how this is any good. Why all this suffering and why all this chaos is any good. And even for my son Levi, who I love, he's struggling through this. I, I don't know why you're allowing this to happen, God. But if, the, if Romans 8, 28 is true, God, you are working something good from this. Not just in our family life, but in Levi's life. And I'm having to remind myself of that every single day sometimes. That God, you are good and you are doing something good from this. I'm just telling you this right now because this is the power of the gospel. Not just that we get to go to heaven one day when we die, but that there is power here and now that we cannot lose now. I mean, if sin doesn't even have the power of death anymore, I mean, what power does it have in our life? Suffering still hurts, but when we experience pain, the victory is in the hope of knowing that suffering always has purpose, right? That all hardships with God have meaning because God is working all things, all things for our good. I mean, just where are your desperate prayers right now? Is it cancer? Is it sickness? Is it financial? Is it depression? Is it anxiety? Is it parenting struggles? Is it struggles to become a parent? Is it loneliness? This is the power of Romans 8, 28. That when we can't understand, God, why are you allowing this suffering to happen? The peace we have is the hope in knowing that God is working all things for good. And I might find it out in this life. I might find it out when I get to heaven. But I know, I know no matter how hard this suffering is, God, you are doing something good. And let me just share this right now. You may be asking, like, but how? Like, how do we know this isn't just some pipe dream we as Christians tell ourselves? How do we know this isn't just something we just believe and want to say to ourselves so we just know this makes us feel better while suffering hurts? In other words, how do we know that God actually cares this much? How do we know God isn't just letting suffering happen and maybe he intervenes, maybe if you pray, he might hear you? Like, how do we actually know God truly is working all things for our good even when we can't see it? Let me explain it to us this way. I want you to think right now, what is like, the most valuable thing that you can think of that you would never want to give up under any circumstance, right? All of us maybe got our favorite collection, right? Our favorite car, like all these things, but just to cut to it, I think at the end of the day, all, all of us would admit that the most valuable thing has got to be our family, right? And if you're a parent, even more specifically, our children, you're like, man, I would never want to give up my children under any circumstance, and I want to throw to you a, 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 a hypothetical, right? And if you're not a parent, just pretend you're a parent, especially if you are a parent. Um, think with me through this. And just to put it in perspective, put your, if your kids are under 10 years old, just think of how your, your kids are now. And if your kids are older, um, think back to when your kids were, you know, around 10 years old or younger. Just because that's when they're the most cute. That's when they're the most innocent. That's when they depend on you the most. That's when they trust you to be the provider the most. Let's say there's a hypothetical and a, and a disease breaks out in the world and it's killing 100% of the people all around the world. And for whatever reason, your kids um, are able to save them. There's something in their blood, whatever the case may be. So the government comes up to you and they says, hey, we have a request to, to ask of you. Would you be willing to give up your kids? 
What's going to happen is even worse. You're going to have to watch them die a horrible, horrible, tragic, traumatic death. And they're going to beg you not to do it. They're going to be like, don't, please don't make me do this. But if you go through with it and you sacrifice them and you, want, and you allow it to happen, you're going to be able to save millions and millions of people over the world. Would you do it? I love it when I've, I've asked this question leading to this message. All the moms right away were like, no. Dads were like, let me just think about this for just one second. How were they behaving that day? I'm just kidding. <clears throat> But the obvious answer is like, no, right? I can never do that. And even if you think about it, even if you're like, man, I want to save all those people. And I know that would be a lot of good. And I even know I'm going to see my kids in heaven one day. This is a, a worthwhile sacrifice for all of us. I think there is no way that any of us could actually go through with it, even if we think about it. Because those are our kids. That is our family. Those are the ones that are a part of us. They're the ones that we have been entrusted to protect. As much as we want to save other people, they're just other people. None of us could do that. But if you don't know where I'm going with this, this is exactly what God did for us. Amen. See, before we put our faith in Jesus, the Bible says that we weren't children of God. We were actually enemies of God. While we were living in our sin, while this jacket was on us, we were not God's children. We were his enemies, and yet he still chose to die for us. Right? God did. He said, you know what? I want to show them this. We all just admitted that is the one thing we can never give up. And God said, I am going to do the one thing in all of the universe that is the most difficult thing to possibly ever give up so they can see clearly how much I actually love them. And if you ever get to a place in life, you're like, man, does God actually care about me? Does God actually love me? Like, how do I know he cares? All you have to do is just look to the cross to know your answer. And when you know this to be true, when you know God loves you that much. I mean, again, let me just read this verse to us. Here's what Paul says in Romans 8, 31. He says, what shall we say then in response to these things? Um, who is, if God is for us, right, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him really give us, here's that word again, all things. See, the depth of God's love, you guys, is so much bigger, it's so much wider, it's so much more fierce, it's so much more personal than anything we can compare it to in this life. We can't even almost relate to it because it's so much more vast than we can understand. And when you know that God loves you this much, how can you not want to trust him? How can you not go, God, whatever you say, I'm, why, how can I want to do things my way? How can I not trust that your ways are best? God, whatever I have to do, if I have to cut off drinking, if I have to cut off hanging out with this friends, if I have to cut off this relationship, if I have to do whatever I got to do, God, I don't care. I got to be in your presence because I know that you truly love me this much. This is the victory that we have in Jesus. The simplicity of the gospel is this, that God just wants a personal relationship with us, that he isn't after us just trying to follow rules and become a good person. He's after you trying to pursue his presence above everything else in this life. Because when you begin to pursue God with that desire for him, what he does in us is he starts to change us from the inside out. His spiritness begins to change us. And those sins, right, the, what, what God calls sin is just things that he knows are going to hurt us, destroy us, push us away from him. And those temptations of how great we used to enjoy giving into those things, they start to lose their pressure, uh, pleasure. And even when we give into them, even when it happens, because it will as we're learning to do this, you're going to have this war inside and you say, man, I don't want to do this anymore. God, I, I want to be close to you. And the more that you can choose to rest in God's presence at the cost of giving up whatever you have to do, man, you're going to see your relationship with God change like never before. Yeah. 
This is the power of the gospel, that there is nothing that can separate us from God's presence. Nothing, not even our own sin as we just saw here, not even our own sin anymore can separate us from God. Right? This is what Paul leaves us with. He says, in all things, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. So this is the gospel. Here it is. This is what we'll, we'll wrap it up here with this. That God has saved us from our sin. That he is now transforming us by his spirit so that we can move towards love. Let me say that one more time. This is the gospel. That God has saved us from our sin. And right now he is transforming us by his spirit so that we can move towards love. So here's what I want to just leave us with. Like, what do we do with this? Right? If this is the gospel, what do we do with this information? I don't know if you guys have seen this movie called Sound of Freedom. Has anyone seen it? If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it, but just be prepared. It's a really intense movie because what it does, it just highlights um, how prevalent um, child sex trafficking is. And the reason I bring that up right now is it just seems like there's this awakening happening in our country right now. Where people are just waking up that, hey, the way this world is working, the way this world is running, the systems that are in place aren't working, right? That this world is broken, that sin is just destroying everything. There's a brokenness in humanity. And because we're so broken, we're all looking for something. And in this pursuit of trying to find something, our, our, our desires are being uh, perverted and broken. And, and the whole world seems to just be broken. And people know this, they feel this. Right? The darkness that's in this world, we can't run from it anymore. We can't hide from it. We can't pretend it's not there. It's just being shoved in our face. And people are going, man, there has to be something better. There has to be something better. And what we know to be true is that better is the gospel. It is the gospel. So what do we do with this? I want to just tell us right now, I'm going to give us three action points. Right, and I think here's a way for us to take what we've heard today, to understand the gospel, to know that this is the only answer to humanity's brokenness. And here's what we can all do with this. And of course, if you're here today and you have yet to put your faith in this gospel, if you have yet to put your faith in Jesus, you're going to have a chance to do that here today. That's obviously the first step for all of us. And even today, after you do that, here's some ways we can put this into practice. Right, number one is, man, we've got to prioritize our time with God. This, this is the single point that actually impacted me the most uh, through this message. Because if the whole point, if the whole point of why God sent his son to die a death that we all just admitted, man, we could never do that to our children. And if God put himself through that pain, he didn't have to do that. No one told him he had to do that. No one said, this is what you have to do. He chose to just freely do that on his own out of his intense love for us. And if he was willing to do that for the only goal that he desires his, uh, our presence, if he desires to sit with us and yet we accept Jesus but then never actually pursue him, what are we doing? prioritize your time with God, whatever you got to do. Let me just say this right now too. This is something that's personally helped me like a lot, right? Of course, if you have big prayers, pray those, right? God, heal my cancer. God, uh, lead my friend to Jesus. God, help me get this house. Help me get that job. Guide my career. Give us children, right? Pray those big prayers, but also pray the small prayers, 
This is just something that I found in my life that it's actually in the small prayers that God reveals himself the most to me. Right, what I mean by that is the small prayers are like, God, I can't find my keys today. I'm looking for my keys. Um, could you help me find my keys? Like, God, I'm looking for a parking spot. Can you just open up a parking spot for me? Or, God, I got a stomachache. I got a big meeting. Can you just take the stomachache away? And here's the difference. We're not testing God. You're not saying, God, if you're really better, take this away from me. Like, we're, not, we're not saying that, God, if you're real, make my keys deliver. Like, we're not saying those things to test God, but it's a relationship. It's the daily walking with God and just talking with him and trusting him. And I've just found when I pray those small prayers, not every single time, but it's in those small ones that God sometimes answers immediately. While I have a stomach ache, I'm like, God, just help me take this away. I got an important thing coming up and it just goes away. I'm just like, whoa, you're here, God. I forget, God, you're right here with me. You just are continuing to remind me. It's that little reminder that we all need that I'm right here with you. Again, the point is God desires just a relationship, Abba, Father. So prioritize your time with them. Here's the second thing. Um, number two is know your story and know how to relate it to the gospel. Okay, listen to me here. Sometimes I'm going to say this quickly. We're going to wrap this up. Sometimes we're only going to have like a minute, right, to share. Maybe you're going to be in a conversation with someone cutting your hair. Maybe you're going to be talking to your family, and they're just going to ask you something simple. Like, you go to church, don't you? Like, why do you go? And you just have a moment. You don't have an hour. You don't have a, a 50-minute message. Like, you don't have time to go over everything. And all you have is a minute to share your story and know how to relate to the gospel. So know how to relate your story to, hey, what has God saved me from? What is God doing in my life now? And what is God leading me to? I mean, my story, just very quickly, I was baptized at 10 years old, loved Jesus, but started believing the grass was greener on the other side. And so when I was a teenager, I started walking away from Jesus, and very quickly, there was this huge, empty hole inside of myself. And instead of understanding this this hole inside me is because I walked away from Jesus, I started pursuing all the wrong things, and drugs and alcohol and substance abuse just quickly gripped my life to where it is by the grace of God I'm even alive right now. And it wasn't until I hit rock bottom and said, you know what, let me just try giving this whole following Jesus thing a hundred percent, just see what happens in my life. And when I experienced the love of God, I'm like, this is what I was looking for the whole time. This is what I have to tell other people about. And so God is working in me. I'm not perfect right now, but where I'm going is, man, God, I wake up every day without depression anymore. I wake up every day with purpose. I wake up every day with a desire to go, man, this is what I'm living for. This is what people got to know about. And whoever I'm talking to, I might mix up that story to talk to them however I need to. But know how to share your story. Write it down, practice it, rehearse it, let it come off your tongue without even thinking about it because you know it so well because that is how God wants to use you to share the gospel with others. Here's the third thing. This is the last thing that we'll share right here. Be intentional with who you're influencing. Right? If we are carriers of the gospel, then we have to understand that we have a responsibility now to bring this to other people. Again, if you're a parent in here, this is the, being a parent is honestly the single greatest responsibility that has ever been created in the universe. That is, and that is the way that God designed it. The number one place for discipleship, the way that God created it is in a family. And the reason that our world is, is so broken is because this is what Satan has been attacking, at least in our country, for decades now. Many of us have been raised by parents who didn't understand this responsibility, and we've been hurt by that. And we're trying to be parents are now ourselves out of a brokenness and a hurt. I'm here to tell us right now that, man, if we don't take this responsibility serious and just acknowledge that, hey, I got to be the greatest example to Jesus to my kids that they've ever seen. I have to show them what it looks like to love and pursue Jesus above everything else, then we're messing up the responsibility that God gave us. 
right? Understand that who you're influencing. Of course, we got friends, we have coworkers. Sometimes it's just a reminder I need, and I hope this is just a reminder to you that, man, when I'm going back to work, I have a responsibility to represent Jesus. Not to be snarky, but just to be gentle and love. You know, when they look at me, the decisions I make, the way I talk, I have to represent Jesus because what greater opportunity could there be to share the gospel with them? And I'll, I'll just end with this right now. Right, I, being in student ministry, I, I got into student ministry without like a super long plan of what's going to happen. I just said, this is what I want to do right now. But the longer I'm in it, the longer do I go, man, this is so needed. There's just a heavy spiritual darkness over teenagers. Because I believe Jesus is coming back soon. I fully believe that. And if that's true, that means the enemy knows that too. And there is an attack against our youth, attack against our children. Right? How many of our kids just need someone to say, I mean, I believe in you. I'll tell you this right now, I'm, and what Pastor Becky is doing in our children's ministry, what's going to be happening this year in student ministry, I am the most excited that I've ever been for this year of student ministry, just for what God's doing. Because if this is the end, then there's going to be a rising of God's spirit to bring forth those he's calling to himself. And so I want to just encourage you, get it, if you have the availability, get in the game. Right? God's calling you to jump in, to do something. The only thing that you need to know how to actually influence a young person's life is just this simple question. Do I know how to love Jesus? Do I know the whole Bible? Not yet. Do I get everything perfect? Not yet. But do I know how to love Jesus? Yes. Then I should be able to disciple a young person to do the same. And that's all that it's required to serve and to make a difference in a kid's life. Right? Know who you're influencing. Be intentional with who you're influencing. And this is how we bring the gospel to a broken world. This is how we bring the love of Jesus to people who are hurting and need to know that God loves you. Amen. This is the gospel that brings freedom. So I'm going to pray for us right now, and then um, I'll lead us into our time of communion. <clears throat> Father, I know this is true for me, and maybe this is true for someone else. I'm just thankful for these reminders, God. All of us have heard that, God, you love us. Everyone knows that to be true with our lips. But I'm thankful for this reminder, Lord, that you speak to our hearts. And you show us that you're right here with us. That we are not defined by our sin. We are not labeled by our mistakes. We are labeled by your status that you have given us, which is child which is loved, which is righteous. I thank you, Lord, that you gave Jesus for us. Father, I thank you, Jesus, that you went willingly to the cross, that we get to enter into this moment where we get to be free in your spirit, God, that we get to freely enter into your presence, God. What greater privilege is that in all of the known universe? Let us feel the burden of urgency, God, to carry this to others. We thank you that you love us. We say this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us at Mission Vale Christian Church. Just know that we always have live services here every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. We'd love to have you here, and we'll see you next time.